Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Cap and Trade. This is episode 52. I am your host, Texans Cap. We've got an exciting show tonight. Got a lot to cover. We've got uh, Brooks Cabina going to hop on here in just a quick second. Uh, but like I said, a lot of going on, a lot of news happening, a lot of stuff to talk to. So let's go ahead and get uh, Brooks in here so we can get things going. Good evening, sir. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. How are you tonight? Oh, great, man. I don't know if we've got enough to talk about. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I appreciate the time. Appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us tonight. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a very exciting time for the fan base, for for everybody involved, for the you know, for media, for fans, for you know, who were potentially not fans and now they're coming back as fans. I mean, it's it's a really exciting time. D'Amico Ryans, as everybody knows, hired as a head coach. And I just honestly just have not seen the fan base this energized and probably shoot probably back till the 27, you know, 2017 draft. And yeah. it's, it's just wild. I mean, you see it, especially on social media with, you know, both of uh, former players giving their feedback on it. But I mean, you see it from like all the Twitter spaces that are back up and running. You know, a lot of the YouTube shows like this are back, you know, a lot of them are just hopping and rolling and, you know, just tons and tons of feedback. And it's, it's almost, and it's the, I think the best part about it is for a lot of the fan base is kind of like sticking it in the, the nose of national media that was like, why would anybody take this job? Mm-hmm. And then here it is, probably the most coveted candidate out of the whole group ends up taking the Texans job. So yeah. It's, you know, it's a great time. It's, it's exciting for the, you know, for the organization. They've got a lot coming up between this hire, the upcoming draft, you know, potential uniform changes in the coming future. And it's just a, a definitely arrow up situation for this organization. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you, you kind of mentioned, uh, the historical context of this. That's what I wanted to address first in the story that I wrote about the hires. Like, this is the most meaningful hire in Texans history. And you mentioned 2017. Like you can always remember where you were in certain moments of the Texans franchise history. And, you know, growing up in Houston, I can always remember like the early two thousands into the mid two thousands. There were a lot, a lot of like painful things that people could remember, like halfback passing to, uh, you know, Chris Brown at the goal line with the Jaguars or David Garrard throwing a midfield heave that gets hit by Glover Quinn and then turns into a touchdown. And then like all that led up to, I remember 2017, I was working in Little Rock and uh, was at a pizza cafe and looked up at the TV and saw that the Texans were trading up in the first round. I was like, Rick Smith never trades up in the first no, round. I remember and like, oh, what's what's going to go on? And then like, yeah. there it is, Deshaun Watson, uh, yeah. a quarterback franchise. And then, you know, obviously everything that happened after that. And D'Amico Ryan's meaning so much to the city of Houston. Um, I mean, obviously, former team captain, you see how this unites – uh, old players uh, that were from the you know 2006, which was not too long after this oh. franchise started. So this is I, I kind of joked on Twitter the other day. We have now reached the era where their head coaches in the NFL on their Twitter uh, on their Twitter names still have their oh, yeah. jersey number. <laughs> so I don't know if 59 is going to remain on there or not. 
uh, or if that's something that he has to work out with the team. Uh, or if Kenyon Green has to go up his number. I don't know what's going to go on. But, um, I mean, all of that's great. And so, like, but D'Amico Ryans was, if not the top candidate, definitely one of them. If Sean Payton is kind of at the top, that was going to cost people. So let's just say D'Amico Ryans was the best candidate that nobody had to give up assets for. Um, And it accomplished all the goals that the Texans needed. It's almost like this was kind of, you know, if you wanted to call fate in football or whatever else, he fulfills an like a, a, a part for fans that I've talked to recently since the hire that are like, you know what? I had apathy over the past couple of years, but this kind of gets my interest back. And definitely the McNair family has not been happy about seeing visiting teams outnumber home fans on several times this past year. I mean, we were in the press box together, noting that a couple of times and then, but he's a great coach and um, his defenses are top notch. And, I do think this is – I said this many times and wrote about it leading up to the hire. I still – and wrote it in the story again whenever um, he was hired that he – his biggest – one of the big, two biggest things he needs to do is um, build his offensive staff. So that's what they're doing right now. It is notable that whenever he made that hire – remember last year, it was like on the same day that Lovey Smith was announced and brought forward and was in a press conference that you're like, oh, Pep Hamilton, we're elevating him. This is not the case. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, a lot of the coaches are going to uh, interview with the team. We've heard that that process is going to start on Friday, a lot of them at the Senior Bowl right now. So um, we'll see what happens with the staff as this goes forward. But we've already seen lots of names thrown out um, and how they've already interviewed and requested uh, several candidates. So yeah. Um, a lot to cover there, but uh, you know this obviously is a is a, a thing uh, Texans fans can be excited about. Yeah, definitely. I th- there's a lot to get into tonight, and uh, you know if you're just hopping on with us, you know my we got Brooks Cabina with the uh, Houston Chronicle joining us, taking some time to join the show tonight, and uh, you know we're kind of discussing the D'Amico Ryan situation at the moment, and I think like tomorrow is going to be the big, the big kickoff, right? At the news conference. And it sounds like there's going to be more than usual former players, familiar faces and, and present as well. Yeah. Um, Beyond the usual kind of the, I I can't remember what they call it. The, uh, the legions group or the, what do they call it? The former players group that they, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They, uh, I, they said it one night, but anyhow, but it, you know, beyond Andre and Travis Johnson and, and Jonathan Joseph, hopefully might see a, a few additional names, Brian Cushing and some other folks, but it's really exciting. And I think, you know, I think it's definitely the home run hire. I, I personally wasn't a fan of, of the Sean Payton uh, as a potential hire. I really didn't want to give up that kind of compensation for it. I didn't think this organization, this team was in, a position to make that kind of move given the roster construction. But now, now that you have D'Amico, it's kind of just like a blank slate. We've seen Casario's turn this roster over a year over year going into year three now and having only 50 players under contract right now, it is with no, I mean, beyond Davis Mills, no, no defined quarterback, right? It's a blank slate. And I'm really, the biggest part I think for this for me is going to be how, Nick Casario and D'Amico work together because yeah, I've I've always kind of just 
dislike the whole having the whole New England way here. And this is to me the first step out of that that nomenclature of being the you know the New England South. Now you have different opinions, different systems coming in place, kind of potentially a different, completely new offensive scheme, a lot a much different defensive scheme, but just a, an overall organizational approach will be much different now as what I'm hoping. And I'm excited to see that and how they work together. And and on top of that, and is, is Casario going to kind of back off a little bit from the camera per se, you know, Cody Stutes made a good point the other night that he thought Casario didn't really enjoy being the face of the franchise per se. And this kind of, this, this move will elevate D'Amico to that point and to where maybe Casario doesn't have to spend much time. But what are your thoughts on, how they could work together to rebrand and rebuild this roster. Yeah. So just to your last point there, I, I think Nick Casario, uh, whenever he came into this job was when you work at new England, you don't have to talk to anybody. Like whenever we were at the combine, he made a joke to an NBC, NBC station from Boston, like, Oh, Hey, I'm here to make comments because they never got to talk to him. So like him being in the public space, being the GM and having to do interviews and all that kind of stuff, like any discomfort that I, I, I don't, he, I don't think he looked exactly uncomfortable. I think it was just something new to him. Um, I don't think that's going to go away. I don't think just because now you have Tamika Ryans, who's 38, the up and comer who carries himself very well. Like Bobby Smith was a tenured coach. And as much as people might've disagreed with how the team was going or how he handled certain press conferences or whatever, he held that confidence pretty well and was com- comfortable speaking with the media. So, and Casario talked just as much as he did whenever Coley was around. So I don't, I don't think that's going to change. Um, Casario still is very much an essential part of the building process, which we'll get to here. So mm-hmm. the next couple of years, as they have these two first round picks and a bunch of trades and all the things that they're going to do, Casario's going to do that. And to the rules of how you have to speak with the media that, uh, it's kind of a collective bargaining agreement with the pro football writers of America. He has to talk. Mm-hmm. So um, that'll, that'll still be around. So I think he's definitely a face of the franchise in whatever way you want to call that, whether he likes it or not. And that carries the responsibility of having to talk to uh, the public. So, um, but you know, yeah, I mean the two things from his statement that I think were notable said this on Twitter, said that in the story too about D'Amico He's progressive and cooperative, collaborative. Those are the two words. And I think those tell everything. And it tells also the two things, because there are two other words that he said, unifying and, and communicative. Um, he complimented David Culley for that, and he complimented Lovey Smith for that too. But what he didn't call them was progressive and collaborative. You know, like those and two Lovey things. was anything but progressive. <laughs> it was not. Well, like, okay. On the surface, okay, I'm not I'm not saying that he was the most, you know, advanced of all defensive minds, but there were things behind the scenes that um I think obviously to the naked eye, the layman didn't really understand like how they were mixing coverages. Um so for example, like Eric Murray, people were wondering why er- Eric Murray was getting more snaps towards the end of the season. Well, I always kind of was trying to deduce from the off season when Lovey Smith was saying, Oh, we're going to be able to do multiple things. And I was trying to figure out what that meant. Well, turns out like whenever that person was in the game, whenever Eric Murray can play multiple positions, he's sometimes 
the responsibility of the nickel from the safety slot where he looks like a strong safety or free safety. And even though Tavier Thomas is in the game, one's playing one thing and one thing is another. Mm-hmm. So even though there was a lot of zone and a lot of whatever else, all the kind of surface level things that, you know, can turn people against Lovey Smith's philosophy, there were mixed coverages, were disguises in there that were a little bit more advanced and pushed forward than what Lovey Smith had, had done before. So, but yes, like overall, um, being adaptive to uh, things in game. There were, there were frustrations sometimes throughout the, the year about adapting things throughout a game and, um, you know, going through obviously the season, how things weren't working in the run game. So um, that's one thing you can count on D'Amico Ryan's for with the run game on the defense that was the second best in the NFL at 77 yards per game. So allowed per game. So um, <laughs> you said that maybe this is the end of the Patriots ties. Well, you know, uh, the NFL Network reported that they were interviewing tight ends coach from the Patriots, Nick Cayley. Yeah. So Nick Casario is always going to have ties to coaches. This is kind of the thing. Like I said this the other night, too, um, where the uh, – and, and, and in the story where D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario, it's going if – it, if it's not Bobby Sloak, who's the passing game coordinator of the 49ers, then they're probably going to – they've already started to interview a lot of people that are outside of their connections, but they're going to also – interview people that Casario is familiar with too. And uh, so I wouldn't be concerned with that as much as it is that they're both working together to find a solution. When it comes to personnel, I still think Casario has ultimate say in all that and through the personnel department that they have uh, the last couple of years, even though you could say some of the free agent, we could quibble about the free agent signings. I thought there were a few really good ones like Steve Nelson and Obo Okoronkwo, which turned out we'll see if Okoronkwo gets a chance to come back. But, um, you know, it's a situation where um, I think you look at the draft, Derek Stingley definitely in the defense, as you were telling me, it's like I think Seth Payne was saying this uh, from 610, how you're saying like basically it's like taking a Ferrari and running it in in a school zone, um, which is a great analogy. (laughs) Um, I think that's going to turn out to be a much better pick. Yeah. Uh, than people felt last year. And that will then give credence to Casario's personnel acquisition. I think there's still the one thing that Cal McNair at least made clear through everything is they still had faith in them as a, as a, as a great personnel evaluator. Yeah. So um, I think he's still going to be uh, the one leading this mid season. He was telling television broadcasts like this is the her- earliest he's ever started on um, uh, evaluating college talent. And uh, they have the number two and number 12 pick. And I think, um, and I put this out on Twitter earlier, I'm just trying to show that just because D'Amico Ryans is a defensive-minded coach, that doesn't mean they're not going to pick a quarterback. Um, It doesn't mean that he's not going to also push for a defensive end or defensive tackle. Um, I think he's going to say, hey, here's the scheme and here's what we're going to try and run. And Casario is going to look and they're going to build their draft board and say, okay, what makes most sense for us and what do we like? And I still think he's he's going to lead that. So I think there should still be questions about it in terms of free agency acquisition because um, I've seen you kind of lead the way a lot in talking about Laramie Tunsil's contract extension talks um, and what that means and how that breaks down. And, you know, I, I appreciate you as a resource too just to, you know, know how a lot of this works in terms of fitting into the cap. And that's what's an excellent part of your site um, and organization. But um, – 
you know, we don't know what Casario as a general manager values position wise, because we've just seen him spend moderate. So like, we'll see, we'll see if he wants to pay Laramie Tunsil a ton of money. Does he want to pay um, top rate for, uh, wide receivers that are you know, like, say, Michael Thomas. I know it's probably not going to be the level that it was with the Saints, and obviously he's been injured the last couple of years, but he seems like a guy that's going to try and push for some money if he's going to end up anywhere. So yeah. is he – I mean, I want to ask him this, and I'll go ahead and telegraph my question. So, if, Nick, if you're listening, um, I want to know, is he going to get creative? And you can – I'm curious from your perspective on this, like covering contracts so much. Could he realistically look at you? Say, oh, okay, they're fifth, and the, what is it, thirty-seven million in the cap right now in free space? Yeah, thirty-five, something like that. Yeah, like the Deshaun Watson model of saying, okay, here's your one million in base salary. Now we're going to fit you into the cap this year, but I have all this cap space down the road, including mainly in twenty twenty-four. I'm going to backlog. I can't offer you money immediately in base salary, but what I can do is set base salary and maybe some bonus I can stretch out across a contract that comes out later and someone will say okay that's cool I'll join in but that also I think would then require more potential for dead money hits that he had to actually also eliminate whenever he got here if it doesn't work out so I'll kind of throw that back to you is that a strategy you're anticipating I think it's going to kind of be middle of the road I think I think he'll kind of what I always call is kind of a hybrid method. You, mm-hmm. you really want to try to avoid that heavy signing bonus model. And that's what happens is you, you end up running with a lot of dead money in the back end of the count of the contract, yeah. but you get the front end lower cap numbers and then you're hedging on the rising cap. And as we've seen this year, you know, 16% or whatever it was, 16, 14% increase on the league cap. And that's only going to go up with the TV deals kicked in now so and gambling yeah yeah Yeah. so you can definitely do that i think i think at the end of the day i think he's just going to kind of be the middle of the road he'll use the signing bonus and continue on with his incentives incentives program that he's been running the per game roster bonus and program that he runs that drives me insane and (laughs) and uh (laughs) okay so i want to ask you something so you're middle of the road i don't think that's that would kind of go against what he said last year, right? It's like, oh, we're not going to be – everybody thinks we're going to be big spenders. This was after the Deshaun Watson trade, whenever that cleared up some uh, money on the cap. He's like, we're not going to become – suddenly become big spenders. That's for next year. We'll get. We'll talk about that next year. Do you think he can afford to be as much of a middle-of-the-road penny? Well, I don't mean – middle-of-the-road I mean by balancing the contract structure, not doing okay. the low – minimum salary bonus minimum salary year one with a large signing bonus. I think okay. you can kind right. of meld that a little bit, bring that that your first year salary up a little bit, lower your signing bonus down a little bit, and then you can balance it out a little bit to where you're not having so much dead money okay. prorated out over the life of the contract. So okay. But he will he will have that second year, third year big salary jump. And then that'll be his place to dip into for, for restructures if he needs yeah. it in 2024, 2025, which we've seen him do many, many, many times already with previous contracts. So yeah. I just, but as for aggressiveness and spending, I think we're going to see a little more aggressiveness. I think he's going to potentially dip into that wave one, early wave two free agency pool 
maybe not quantity wise, but may pick and choose and get one or two pretty strong free agents out of the free agency pool. I mean, it's kind of a weak class altogether, but there are certain positions that have some strengths, you know, tight end linebacker has some strengths and there's, you know, and depending on what scheme they bring in with the offense, there's a few centers out there, but two of them are zone guys. One of them's a power guy. So it just kind of depends on what kind of scheme they end up running with. But I, I do anticipate, I'm hoping that we see a little more of a, a more standard offseason and not have 48 one-year contract signings. I'm, I'm expecting more like, you know, one to two early, big, moderate, big, not like top-of-the-market signings, but yeah. you know, fairly aggressive type of acquisitions and then having a larger undrafted class and give this new staff the opportunity to kind of meld and, and mold the younger core into what they see and right. what they can build that roster up from there is kind of what I would hope to see. You know, I've hoped that for two years in a row and Nick hasn't done it yet. So, you know, I don't think he could have afforded to though. No, he had, I mean, they, they had, they had the, the Texans tax and they had, they had to just kind of fill in the gaps, whichever way they could. Yeah. And I'm thinking now that you have, and I, I when I say a, a stronger potential staff in place. I'm not taking shots at the previous two year staffs, but if you have a potentially stronger staff, then you can lean on younger talent and coach them up properly versus having to depend on so many veterans. And I, you mentioned this position and on HoustonChronicle.com, if you hope you don't mind a pick a plug there. Um, the story that I was kind of alluding to on Twitter earlier came out. I was looking at the positional backgrounds and you talked about linebacker there. I think that's one that, um, may not be talked about enough right now, and it could signal a lot. And I think it's really interesting about obviously D'Amico Ryan's former linebacker. He's not going to be as hands on at that position as he was with, say, Fred Warner. But um, they had seven linebackers on their 53 man roster when the 49ers had five. And that obviously had a lot to do with how they were used throughout the special teams. And I'll just go ahead and make my prediction. I think Frank Ross is going to be probably one of the ones that stays. I mean, he merits it. I think if he's going to interview for it, like that's the one thing that you would say, okay, the Texans were really good at. Um, but how does how does uh, how does D'Amico Ryan's uh, think that he can develop what's there? Not every, every one of them. I think I was checking your site earlier. I don't think any of them, if they were cut, including Christian Kirksey, would cost them anything in the long run. I think all of them save them money, yep. and so that means. Which of these does he feel he can actually coach up, and which which ones were really just signings to kind of be stopgaps over time? Um, I don't think so. The thing about Fred Warner, right, third round pick out of BYU, people are probably going to jump like third round pick out of Alabama, Christian Harris. Like he's good and he should progress, but like let's not expect him to be a two time All Pro all of a sudden. But that is something we should expect is that we see progression for him and. I did like some of the names in free agency. I don't know exactly how much they would cost. Say like Tremaine Edwards, he's coming out of his rookie deal. I don't linebackers don't I don't think they typically have huge numbers. I don't know we just saw Roquan Smith, but does he necessitate Roquan Smith money? Um Jermaine Pratt's deal is up and we've seen how the Texans linebackers have struggled in coverage. And I think he does well out of the Bengals. So how that's organized, I think, is going to be interesting. And you mentioned hopefully not seeing as many one-year, two-year deals, especially one-year deals. 
the Texans put themselves in a weird situation, especially with Oboe Okoronkwo, because like, okay, yes, you bring them in to find out if they're good. But if they are good, that also puts you in the position where you now have to pay them more and they may choose to go somewhere else and you don't get to keep them. So you gave them a chance to prove themselves and now you can't keep them. Yeah. So, and, yeah, they, they kind of yeah. got stuck at the end of the year too, where I think in a normal year where they would have had, hopefully had more than trying to having to do mid season restructures just to buy mm-hmm. operating room for the rest of the year. If they would have had the normal situation of four or $5 million in cap space or whatever, I, I can guarantee. I feel confident saying that players like Okoronkwo would probably would have gotten an in-season extension. Yeah, but the team was just stuck and they couldn't do it. I talked to several people towards the back end of the year because, like you were saying, the year before Casario did, I think it was what three. There was Burkhead, there was uh, Tremont Smith, and there was one more. Owens, um, or no, Phil Dorsett, Owens. I think it might have been Dorsett. But he did a lot more towards the back end of the year. So I was reaching out to people about who was getting it. And that was that was the response that I was hearing was, we don't know what's going to happen with Lovey Smith. So like the kind of people that you would see getting extensions, like Tavier Thomas, for example, his contract expired. And he played really well. And he was a big favorite of Lovey Smith. And it seems like if, you know, Casario was like, oh, he's a core guy and he shows up every day and he's kind of the things that respond to the mold. Like, if you looked at how Casario talked about leadership, Tavier Thomas kind of it resembled a lot of that. So, yeah, to your point, I'm just kind of supporting through that, like, the conversations about certain players were just like, okay, yeah, let's see how this goes. But I I don't see in some ways, like, does Obo Okoronkwo, like, if you were going to approach him in a deal – knowing that even if you're into a 3-4 and he has to maybe convert to an outside linebacker, a lot of these 3-4s are still four-man rushes where they bring a guy and he's got a hand on the ground. You could still bring in third-down packages. I could see how Okoronkwo could be both in a four-man front and a three-man front. So that one's a little interesting to me. Maybe, maybe, Maybe it's the wealth of defensive ends that they feel that they have. I mean, you have a couple of guys, Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, who are still late in their careers. How are they going to factor into the future in uh, D'Amico Ryan's defense? Are they going to draft, say, a Will Anderson or something? So um, definitely interesting that we didn't see as many, and that was kind of many unseen extensions, and that was kind of the early telltale sign that uh, they probably thought things were going to change. Yeah, yeah. There was, I, I think Okoronko would have been a candidate. I think Tavier Thomas definitely was a candidate before he got injured right before the season started. and But – yeah, I mean, it, it, they were just cash strapped at the end, and there's just nothing they could have done about it. They put themselves in that position, so they just had to deal with it and move forward. Could they, could they not have added extensions, though, for future years? Would that have affected the situation they were in currently? They, they had leveraged pretty much every contract that they okay. could. Without, so you can't make a move for the next year or the next without it affecting your cap immediately? Yeah, I mean, you can. That's what I'm saying. You, you, oh. you, they could have done some extensions, but they have, they had lowered the salaries of so many players at the top of their roster. You know, Tunsil mm-hmm. was back down to a minimum. They did Brandon Cooks. They did uh, Kirk, you know, Kirksey and different players, and they had just run out of places for them to find cap dollars to shift to 2024 and and beyond. Yeah. They see. were just, they had just, they had pulled every lever that they could pull, and. That's just, you know, they had put themselves in that hole and they just have to, going to have to deal with it. So, 
And the more you do that, you diminish the budget that you can spend yeah. on the players that we're talking about right now. Yeah, you're just okay. you all yeah, they just shifted a lot of dollars, cap dollars that are now sunk cost from the twenty twenty two league year into twenty twenty three. So I. E. Brandon Cooks. Exactly. Right. Yep. yep. So but uh yeah, if you're just hopping in with us, this is the Cap and Trade Show, Texans Cap here hosting, joined by Brooks Cabina and the Houston Chronicle. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, helps out the helps out the show, helps out the algorithm, helps us to continue on making this better as we can get going. Right there. So one question that uh that I had from I know a few it's been kind of a talking point on the on the radio and a few things like that. I wanted to get your opinion on it is mm-hmm. what what players, specifically the rookie class, who do you think stands stands to benefit the most? Well, Derek Stingley's number one. Yeah. Um, to the points that we were talking about earlier, and to rehash it, if somebody is just hopping in, it's like, you know, there were different things that the secondary was doing in terms of maybe someone was a nickel safety as a as a free safety, and when the nickel was actually having a different responsibility and. Derek Stingley was kind of playing back zone and helping out in the back end just to kind of simplify it in some ways. But like they're going to be as they add more, even like say at linebacker or, you know, knowing that you can have defensive rushers that you don't, you can, you can count on them getting maybe to the quarterback faster. So you're more comfortable pressing a little bit quicker. Like I think those are things you're going to see um, uh, Derek Stingley be able to step up and, and play press, all the things that you hear about in the draft cover. Whenever I covered him at LSU, it's like, what kind of what what kind of cornerback is he? It's like he's an all around cornerback. And Dino Vasso, who was the quarterbacks coach last year, kept bringing that up. He wasn't lying. Like the guy has every asset. You just didn't really see it all that often last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and to go along with that, I'm just naming, you know, defensive guys. But Christian Harris. Um, yes, Lovey Smith had a history of linebackers that were like Brian Urlacher and working teams like that. But Lovey, uh, um, Lovey Smith was part of a lot of the uh, kind of the progression into modern day defense. But D'Amico Ryan says that immediate, like knows, like he was the one who trained up Fred Warner to this point. So he's, uh, even though he's not going to be a position coach or even a defensive coordinator who's focused solely on defense and not the responsibilities of a head coach, um, We'll get we'll get to know a little bit more about that tomorrow. What his roles are specifically, um, but you know, I, I see Harris flourishing in that. So I'm withholding on saying that any of the offensive players mm-hmm. immediately benefit from that because I don't know what the staff's going to be. Right. But I will say that they do benefit just because of a change. Like there was nothing from last year that suggested any progression was happening. I mean, they had lower numbers with more. They added more tech. Like it wasn't a very star-studded group, but it was more people than Tim Kelly was working with in 2021. And they were regressing in a lot of categories. Even with Damian Pierce running the football, they weren't very good at in terms of yards per game uh, on the ground in terms because no, Damian it was Pierce was the only yards. person. Yeah, it was Damian. A lot of those yards too. So, like, even Damian Pierce himself said in his final interview before the season was like, "Yeah, I felt like I could have come back for that last game, but re- they all were reasonable. They're like, no, this is this is we're not going to waste this. Like, this guy is really good, and we're not going to get him hurt for no reason. So, just by making a change, they can stand to benefit. And 
I mean, they're entering an offseason where we'll get to see Kenyon Green, who I think people should also give more time to think about. I mean, he had a he didn't have a great year, but we've seen progressions from rookies, especially on the offensive line. You can find other case studies about that. He's uh, going to go through another offseason. And um, if they do go West Coast, there are things within you look back to the Gary Kubiak system, how there was a lot of zone blocking that benefits um, uh, blockers in the run game who are less about, you know, trying to block a certain person. And sometimes it's more about kicking out and taking the first guy available. There, there are, there, there are, that whole scheme was built to simplify things. Let's just put yep. it that way. So he could, he could benef- stand to benefit from that. If that is the direction they end up going, if it's more of a Sean McVay thing, or, I mean, even certain offensive line coaches within West coast schemes can add different things. So I, I'm, I'm not going to, push myself into a corner here but yeah i think just by changing some of the offensive rookies could stand to benefit yeah yeah and i do wonder about christian harris if he is the type of player that can be moved over to the middle linebacker spot or yeah. if he's gonna have to stay in his stay in his spot because that really kind of drives where they could potentially go in free agency especially at the linebacker position like i mentioned earlier there are a few a few names not just at the top but there are a few names down the list that could bring some value to that. So to that I just group. looked up their profiles. So Christian Harris, 6'2", 232. Fred Warner, 6'3", 230. Yep. So they've got the size profile. Christian Harris, I think, I mean, we all know the thing that was always talked about was his 4-4 time in the 40 for the um, NFL Combine. Just because he's fast doesn't mean that they're just going to put him out on the edge um, as an outside linebacker. I think that was more fitting because he could do things that Christian Kirksey couldn't. Um, but if they can find two guys can do both. I mean, you're typically running two linebackers out there anyway, a lot yep. of the times. Yep. So if you're two guys who can do both, if I think the responsibility, some, the responsibility of that middle linebacker or whatever is more so being like the leader, the defensive caller and having more responsibilities, obviously in the run game in between the tackles and certain strengths. So I, I think he definitely can do that. Um, I, if, if they, if they end up going, Jermaine Pratt or something, I think that could be telling too because his strength is being on the edge and being in space and coverage. So, um, yeah, though that's a good question. Yeah, so um, we'll kind of shift change, shift topics here a little bit, move over to uh, coaching staff. We've seen a few reports come out on a few interviews completed. You know, we saw yeah. uh, Slowick was uh, interviewed and then Kaylee out of New England, which – I I just hope that's not really an option, but <laughs> I just I'm just I just want to get out of the New England stuff. I'm sorry. Uh they've been talking to uh showing some interest in Walters up in Cincinnati, who's oh. you know, under Zach Taylor, which comes out of the same type of tree at the end of the mm-hmm. day. And then uh a couple of names on the defensive coordinator side with uh Manuel up in New York Giants, who obviously works for Sala, comes from uh the same tree, and then uh Corey Endelin. I really don't know too much about him. I just saw his name where they potentially had interest in him. I haven't really taken a look at that, but mm-hmm. I really don't know what to expect out of defensive coordinator. And I guess, like you said, well, that may be one of the questions that we might find out tomorrow is if D'Amico is going to actually call plays or is he going to be have a defensive coordinator that's calling plays or if he's going to have a, a defensive coordinator pseudo coordinator, but he's calling the plays game day. So, yeah. you know, they, they, should be casting a wide net, but you just, you hope 
at least what I've been hoping is what I've been saying on the show for the past month is I hope to get a leader out of out of D'Amico when it comes to a coaching staff and you end up developing a pipeline and get mm-hmm. to the point where it's okay that you're losing coordinators every couple of years. Well, hopefully it's a good reason why hopefully they're getting hired on as head coaches elsewhere, yeah. but you you're identifying that young talent to bring in as a quarterback's coach, as a linebacker's coach who could potentially shows that potential to come in as a backfill and promote up to coordinator as your coordinator's, hopefully hire out to, to new opportunities that are not being fired. And so that's kind of my hope for this, but are there any names uh, beyond what we've already talked about? Are there any names that interest you out there or is it kind of just wait and see it? Not beyond that. No. I mean, this is all kind of towards, I I mean, the one that we haven't mentioned that I still think is in play is Thomas Brown, the, who, who works with tight ends, associate head coach with the Chargers. I mean, not the chart, the Rams, comes from that Sean McVay tree. I think um, the point of his interview, like just realistically, I don't think he was ready to be a head coach, but that gives the Texans an opportunity to learn what he's about. Um, And he does have, like he's familiar with D'Amico Ryans. They know each other. And I think that's someone that they could potentially look at too. Um, But what, what's kind of sticking out about all these names, and we've had this conversation earlier in the show, um, and I brought this up in articles and other things before. It's like all of these coaches, even even Troy Walters, all these are people who are lower on the staff who haven't had a lot of experience doing play calling. And that should be questionable. That, sh- that comes with questions. But, like, to your point, so if it's going to be somebody um, that doesn't have that kind of play calling experience and you're looking – to build a pipeline, it kind of behooves the Mika Ryans to get guys he's really familiar with and who could teach to like, so say it's the defensive line that, I mean, say it's defensive coordinator, right? If he wants to call plays, it almost helps him not to call plays to help build that pipeline, knowing that eventually he's going to have to replace coaches. So the better he is at coaching coaches and teaching them scheme and allowing them to, make mistakes uh, and, and him saying, wait, no, that's not really what I want you to teach them. I want you to do this with them. Training himself to do that is something he could do. If say Chris Kokurek comes from the defensive line coach, yeah, with the 49ers. if he comes, if he comes along with him, that's someone where they know the language, they know what they're talking about. And that's someone he can train and trust and also get better at teaching a coach to coach offensively. That would also make sense if he was to convince Bobby Slowick, who's the passing game coordinator, to come from the 49ers. That's another person he knows how they're doing and, and, and can trust that he's like, oh, yeah, you're familiar with what we tried to do with the 49ers. And whoever you bring along, I know you and I know that you're able to teach that person who can then teach the next person. Um, the, I don't think the, that Casario and Ryan's are averse either to learning through this experience. Like, I was talking to Ron Wolf, who's a former general manager for the Packers. That's one of my favorites. I love that tree. That, yes. whole, that whole, I love that. I love Ron Wolf. I'm one of my favorites. One of the things he said was like, the, I learned a long time ago that the, the best thing to do was interview as many candidates as possible. And I said, why is that? He said, because they start to eliminate themselves. So you also get better at interviewing. And you also know, you reveal a bunch of, like you would think that you would become inundated with things, kind of like how, 
you know, you give too many options and all of a sudden you don't know what to do. He said it was more like I knew I, it, it turns out like I, I trust myself and what I know, my knowledge. And also I'm seeing all these things from what these coaches are saying. They reveal that they don't know certain things. They don't have answers for other things. Um, and basically to translate to this, the Texans are interviewing a lot of people for this. They're requesting interviews from a lot of people. They've already talked to several people. They're training themselves right now. Also, in a way, they may not in, intend to do it like this, but if there's not someone on their staff who's ready to bring up, if there's not a passing game corner that they can elevate the offensive coordinator two, three years down the line, let's say someone like gets an interview and is gone. I don't foresee that happening, but it you can't plan for everything. You then get better at interviewing other candidates and realizing how to blend someone's philosophy with what you have and projecting that to who you're going to acquire in free agency and the draft. So all of this is great training ground for D'Amico Ryan's in a six-year contract where he's going to have to make staff changes. It's just inevitable. Those are You don't typically hold on to everybody for that extension of time. So, um, yeah, so that's I think that's what's notable about what's going on right now and uh, the names that have been released. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's that, I mean, that's the hope, the hope that you, you can develop that type of pipeline to where you're just able to backfill, promote and not have to get way outside of your box with, you know, when backfilling position. So we'll see how that goes. I do have, we're going to jump over to a different topic. I wanted to get your feedback on this. I was chatting with a buddy of mine today about the draft and, you know, we saw the latest report. And I'm sure this report's going to change like 18 times between now and draft night. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Chicago's going to do at the top. And today's reported they're going to keep Justin Fields and they'll trade out of the one, you know, number one overall pick. Whatever. The the thought topic that I had was is you know I, I get questions all the time about what would it take to move up to number one from number two, but to me it seems like Indianapolis if they wanted to move up and I'm not entirely convinced that Ballard is aggressive is the type of guy to make that move. But I think Ursay might push that button. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that Chicago Houston would have to way overbid what a normal package would be to move up from two to one compared to what Indy would have to give to move up from four to one, you know, like Houston would probably have to give up their second round pick this year and, you know, a fourth round pick this year or something like that, or a future third or something like that, hmm. move, you know, move, flip spots with them. But if Indy has to offer their second round, their third round and a future one, to me, Chicago is like, yeah, that's a much better deal. And I'm only sliding back two more spots to where, and I still have access to more than likely get Jalen Carter or Will Anderson because I know, Indy's trading up for a quarterback and Houston's probably going to take a quarterback. Yeah. And so I feel like Houston is basically stuck at two and, you know, absent of trade down and all that nonsense. But yeah, I mean, did you have any, have you, have you kind of dove into that at all? Yeah. Funny how, you know, funny how, uh, information comes out, um, whenever teams, want to uh, stir the market a bit. I mean, I, I remember last year immediately after David Culley was fired, Nick Casario floated just without even being provoked. And we'll see if we stay at three. 
Yeah, I like, they float this at this time to stir the market. So yeah. the Bears are trying to see what they get. And they also want to say, basically, market's open. Who wants it? Yeah. And I could actually see the Bears getting stonewalled the same way the Texans did. Because yeah. if the Texans decide, you know what, we like both quarterbacks. We don't care. And the Colts are like, oh, well, if you're not going to take a quarterback and you're happy with Justin if you're happy with uh, Justin Fields, then and if I'm okay with Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, I'm going to give him at four. So yeah. how about nothing? How about you get nothing? So if it just is going to – it would only propagate if, say, the – let's say the Raiders or the Panthers were getting antsy and you're like, oh, let's let's try and jump eight spots. I don't foresee that either. I, I just, I don't see this market being, and this is just right before everything's going to get all silly and mm-hmm. people are going to go to Will Levis's pro day and be like, he's number one. And then like, right. be like, why did Malik Willis drop to the third round? You're like, well, um, I, I, I could see a situation when the bears actually get stonewalled. So I don't think the Texans are going to try and part with any of their picks when they know they have so many things to fill. They weren't willing to do that for Sean Payton. I don't think they're going to be willing to do that just to pick one of their two quarterbacks, especially when they have the chance to lock that decision up by losing to the Colts. So I don't, I don't foresee that's happening. Yeah. I'm with you there. I, I do. I think at the end of the day, teams may try to leverage Ryan Poles being a new GM and, you know, and just, not going to come up. I mean, I'm not entirely, and trust me, this is somebody who, who's a huge Bryce Young fan. And I've been a Bryce Young fan yeah. since about week four. I'm just not entirely sure there's a, a quarterback or a player that necessitates somebody really making that kind of a jump either. Um, I don't think there's, I don't think any of the quarterbacks are really just at that level. But that's not to say I don't think Houston should bypass them. I think they need to take Bryce Young at two, but I just, I'm not entirely sure. And I, I'm, that's my way of agreeing with you. I, I, yeah. if, if Chicago trades out of one, I don't think it's going to be for the value that they would like. And I think at that point, they're just going to stick with Will Anderson because Will Anderson's going to be number one on, on majority of the boards across the league, including Houston's. And so I think that's going to be, well, I mean, it's going to be smoke and mirrors. It's going to be Every time you see a leak on social media, you the first thing you got to ask is, is who's benefit from this leak? Whether it's somebody trying to get a player to push up the board, mm. or trying to get a player to drop down the board to them. So you know you you can you just have to take everything with a grain of salt when it comes to draft day news. And I mean, we saw it last year. I mean, nobody knew what Casario was going to do up until what ten minutes before the draft. It seemed like, but when he when they were you know, zeroing in on Derek Stingley. So right. it's going to well, be the same thing here. It could, it could be. So I'm thinking back to the 49ers example. I'm going to fall into this and I'm going to try and provide myself of like, okay, not everything is going to be 49ers just the same way when Casario came and that not everything is going to be Patriots, um, which has proven out in some ways. Um, but the 49ers back in 21 decided that jumping up for Trey Lance, I think it was one spot, right? One spot they traded three first-round picks for Thank Trey Lance, who yeah, was barely played. So 
And that was Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. And at the time, Trey Lance coming out of college, North Dakota State, I mean, you would probably put Bryce Young right now, if we were talking about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, in the Trey Lance mold as terms of, like, people, how much, how good they think he's going to be. That quarterbacks always drive the price. And I just, it could the, I don't, I, I you never say never, right? But like, I don't, the Colts just, being crazy enough to, to trade that much value, do they even have that value in their, I don't know. So yeah. I'm just saying it's never been done. It has been done. It's been done very recently by a team that's still doing very well. Yeah. So um, maybe the, I don't. I would not expect the Texans to do that, but people have done it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it's it's wild. From, the, from that trade, the other news from today, um, Kyle Shanahan said it himself that um, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going. He doesn't see him coming back, which everybody could deduce. Like, yeah, they're going to go uh, to Trey Lance. They have Brock Purdy playing through that, and his contract's up. Like, you're going to resign. You're going to have a third string dude. You're going to anticipate both those guys getting injuries so i don't know if everybody wants to hear this but there is also the possibility that bobby slowis gets hired as offensive coordinator and they decide you know what let's pick defense on number two and oh hey it that what would signal that because this would be before the draft you could sign jimmy g early on and be like you know what we've made our choice here we go let's go i ahead. really hope we don't play this veteran quarterback game because there is no veteran quarterbacks in free agent market wise that's they, I mean, the team could probably be, you know, a playoff contender, maybe get through one round of the playoffs, but I just don't see Jimmy G or Derek Carr or, you know, if you want to go down even a step down further with whatever else names are out there. I just – I don't want to play that game. I I feel like that's – You're right. Because path, but, I mean, I can see a new coach wanting to do that because it gives you some certainty at the position, but – if if yeah. Miko has been given the amount of time that he should be given, then he should be able. They should be able to go a rookie quarterback and develop it, and not have to lean and right. have to go to a veteran quarterback to ensure that they're winning right off the bat. Because one of the things that I think is notable about the quarterback position in the free agency market is that you're barely ever going to get a chance to sign someone straight up, mm-hmm. like. Even with Lamar Jackson right now, they they can put a tag on him and then say, you know what, we're gonna pay we're gonna pay you this much and then keep and then figure it out and then you enter the space to go somewhere else. But they're always gonna try and get value out of it. So you either have to sign and trade, I mean trade and sign, or find a quarterback in the draft. And the Texans got into that problem with Bill O'Brien in the mid two thousands where you're <laughs> building everything else. You got this kick ass defense and you're sitting there thinking how is Brian Hoyer throwing three picks in the AFC wildcard game? And how are we going to – was it four or three? Four or three. Yeah, it was, it was too many. I mean, that, was that whole run, you know. The and then they had to trade up to get a quarterback. So you're in that situation thinking, oh, is Tony Romo, because he has a bad neck, bad back issue, suddenly available to us. That you're like, no, wild. you can't count on those things. So, like, two – to put yourself in a situation where you don't have someone available, you can point to the 49ers and say, like, oh, you know, they figured it out. They don't have a great quarterback. No, they invested in Trey Lance, yeah. and they tried to get Jimmy G. They signed him to a big contract, and they traded for him. Yeah. Like, that was a sign and trade. 
So the Texans don't want to get in that situation either where they build up everything else. It's really hard to find a quarterback. Yeah, and you end up right getting position that. To do it, so just do it. I'm with you. Yeah, so, draft purgatory where you can't either you hmm. end up having to use a lot of that those draft assets you acquired to move up. So right. And I, I I'm tired of playing the next year game, the next year game. The next year quarterback class is gonna be better. Yeah, but hey, look, you know, um, you know, isn't isn't that USC quarterback coming out next year? Just tank another year. Yeah, I'm sure the I'm sure Caleb the players Williams. and the fans are willing to tank another year. No. No, upwards and onwards, man, upwards and onwards. So, all right, well, we're at the point of the show where I think we're going to try to catch a few questions here. Sweet. We usually just kind of rapid fire them. And And subscribe. Yes, subscribe, like, do everything you can. All right, let's see here. And some of these we probably already asked, but I mean, answered, but we'll kind of go through. Do you think to go after any big names in fridge or stick with mid-tier names? TJ, I think – I don't big big names is kind of a very wide net, but I do think there's an op, there's a chance that Houston might sign a name or two that is in that tier one, tier two, early wave type free agent that shows that hey, the team's ready to be a little more aggressive towards this roster would be my take. And then there's still going to be mid tier guys because it's, at the end of the day, there's only 50 players on this roster at the moment for the next league year. They're probably going to release two or three of those players. And so they're going to have to fill out this roster. You can only do so much with your draft class and undrafted class. So you're going to still see some mid-tier, back-in-depth veterans re-sign. But I can feel pretty confident that we're going to see a name or two that should be showing that, hey, we're they're ready to start making moves. Um, and one of the ones that I'm really looking at in terms of Let's say they go and look at the wide receiver free agency signing. I look at a guy, if you're, let's say it's the West Coast system, right? I'm just kind of following that lineage of who D'Amico Ryans is familiar with. Matt LaFleur is part of that. Gary Kubiak tree, um, part of those staffs in the middle. So look at the Packers. You have a guy like Alan Lazard who just finished a really good year, 800 yards, six touchdowns. And he made it pretty clear to reporters towards the end of the year that he wasn't going to come back. So he's going to be hitting them. He's going to hit the, uh, market i think and that's somebody that might fit into whatever mold they have so those are the type of names that i'm expecting to see up and coming and also other other um players who are coming off their rookie deals um who fit kind of the mold of what they're trying to run so those are those are big names like i wouldn't see i'd be surprised to see michael thomas like you know people that we all know and be like oh wow they're getting this guy this is gonna be huge you want to go younger, not you want to go younger. Get get them in. Yeah. Matt Hamilton asked if they were to go to QB and wide receiver at one dot oh two, one dot twelve, where would they find pass rush? Well well, I don't think that they would go wide receiver at one dot twelve, but if they had to go pass rush, I mean, unfortunately, that's one area of free agency that's lacking here. Mm-hmm. You got the the Yannick Nagakwe's, Charles Aminahu, which even with D'Amico here, I'm not entirely sure Charles would come back. Well, uh, and, and his pending legal issues. Yeah. Arden Key, you know, he signed a one-year deal out of Jacksonville, which he's got some ties to San Francisco. Um, but it's it's a very – and then you get into the uh, <laughs> the former Texans group with uh, Rasheen Green, Demarcus Wire. So and Oklahoma. And Oklahoma. So it's it's – I think the team is probably going to end up absent of this is doesn't include any potential 
edge guys that get released for, you know, cap reasons or whatever it may be that are not scheduled to be unrestricted free agents. And there'll, there'll probably be a few of those. I think you're more that 1.12 spot. I think there's going to be a lot of um, edge rush potential in that area. Even if mm. Nick needs to move up a slot or two to get into the top 10, I think there's a, some opportunity there for even interior defensive line or edge. Yeah. Um, you, with the, um, you're saying you don't expect Jadavian Clowney to return to the Texans. Is that what you're saying? I hope, um, I hope the Houston Texans don't have any interest in Jadavian Clowney. So I, I think if, I mean, the bet, the easiest thing to do in my position is just to look at all the first rounder selections because you can be like, you can look at a drove of websites that have top hundred and choose one. You'd be like, ah, that guy. See, I told you. Um, <laughs> But I think Nick Casario, um, and as I've gotten to know him, like, you know, we, we, I, like, I covered college football before I got here. And you can tell that he values big time football competition. He said it himself. So, like, it's not like it's just, you know, things that I've gleaned to myself, but like, you look at how many SEC players that he picked up last year in the draft. So, if you're kind of following that, who could fit into that, I covered a player who's, picking up in some spaces, LSU's edge rusher, BJ Ogilary. He was, had some great spots at LSU. That's guys, those types of players, if they don't pick edge rusher early on the first round, I wouldn't put those players out of play. Um, and there's going to be some, uh, some of those types of players in the mid level rounds. And I wouldn't be surprised if he went that direction. Texans tenacious T says Texans should sign Josh Jacobs in free agency. Imagine that backfield. <laughs> if you're, if you're a repeat listener of this show, you will know that I am not a fan of paying <laughs> running back. So I get the, I get the notion tenacious T I, I get the, the eye, the idea behind it. And I agree that the Texans do need another running back whether it's from the draft or free agency, because I don't think you want to be leaning on Damian Pierce for 25 to 28 touches a game. I think he needs to be in that 18 to 20 touch range and you need to have a, a, a kind of a one, a one B type situation that somebody, whether it's a change of pace back or another power back, there's the team needs to, to invest in that position. They, you know, I think Dare's, you know, great and all, and he's under contract for next year, but you need a true number two, one B type back. And I think this free agency class and the draft class as well, the draft class has a lot of talent at running back outside of Bijan Robinson. But I think in, in the free agency market too, you can probably find some value. Whereas Josh Jacob is going to command every bit of 13, $14 million a year. If Los, if Las Vegas doesn't tag him. Whereas I think you could probably dive down a little bit and get that Jarek McKinnon, Jamal Williams, Jeff Wilson type running back that have zone mm -hmm. zone running scheme history and success for that matter at probably 60% of the cost and probably get, yeah. probably get 80% of the production that you would get out of Josh Jacobs. So that's just always been my personal opinion on it. I'm not against drafting a running back early or paying a running back. I just think there's ways to find value there at a lower cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you take, took the words out of my mouth on a lot of that. Um, if you, I'm, I'm going to fall back to my tendency of analyzing the 49ers. So when you mentioned Jeff Wilson there, you look at what weapons the 49ers were able to make use of. 
the versatility of certain players like Debo Samuel, things like that. I mean, if you you're looking more for that type across the board in the offense and how many different things can you open up different spaces downfield in the passing game while using the run to help do that. Damian Pierce can allow you to do that enough. And uh, like he's, he's going to fulfill your number one back. He's he, he should be expected to be someone who should get 900 yards close to that every year and be able to be your goal line back. Like say, like Christian McCaffrey, I thought it was interesting in the playoffs uh, how often he was running between the tackles. Like he was, they were using him like a running, like Damian Pierce would be. Um, and he showed he could do that. He was breaking some tackles. So um, I, I don't, I agree with you. I I, uh, I remember I was on Landry's YouTube and then I got blasted by Cody Stutes from 97.5 for being a running back hater. That's not exactly true. I just don't I do think you spend, I don't think you spend first round picks and a lot of money on running backs. And that's been proven by Damian Pierce getting selected in the fourth. I, I don't think that's luck. I think that has a lot to do with evaluation and thinking that a player could turn out. And there were, like, there were a lot of good running backs that came out of last year's class that were second round or later. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think they need to invest all that much in, Josh Jacobs to do that. And you can see tricky situations where you give running backs a lot of money and then they take up a large part of your cap space and you're kind of stuck in that situation. It doesn't help you whenever you need multiple wide receivers. So, um, which they need. And it's funny. I always lean back on, uh, Jason Fitzgerald who, who owns over the cap, who I'm pretty good friends with. He'll, he says, uh, every time that a big running back, contract to sign i end up getting messages from that fan base about 12 months later wanting to know when they can get out of that contract <laughs> <laughs> all right let's look i want to look up uh let's see where's derrick henry right now derrick henry i mean it was the zika oh, elliott yeah. it was i mean christian mccaffrey's contract was a perfect example at the time because he was hurt i mean it was before he even same with the Todd Gurley deal. He never even saw the new years of his contract. And Ezekiel Elliott with Dallas, he gets those questions all the time. And now okay. it's, and now it's, you know, Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones, but I think they, they can kind of navigate those deals, but it's, it's all the time. That, so Derek Henry is going to make 16.3 million against the cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They push I mean, he, around. He's kind of worth it. Um, but they don't have much else on their offense in terms of quarterback yep. or other things that could go get. So you're kind of stuck giving him a ball all the time. Let's see here. Travis wants to know a question here. Is it surprising or troubling that this deep into a rebuild, we don't have more than 27 million effective cap space. Uh, it's early how bad it was. It tells you how bad it was. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they cleaned up a lot of things, but they just didn't have a lot of money to roll over this year. But I will say they do have a few levers to pull this year with, you know, potential trades extensions and player releases. Um, you know, if you watched the show last week, uh, we did a full coverage on Laramie Tunsil extension, which would potentially free up close to $10 million in cap dollars for 2023. You could look at a Titus Howard extension if the team really wanted to invest on the both tackle positions. And then, you know, potential Brandon Cooks trade frees up another good chunk of money. And then you've got some player releases that are, that are probably coming down the line with Justin Britt, but maybe Eric Murray, maybe Christian Kirksey, Jalen Reeves, Maven. So yes, at this point in time, there's the number might is hovering around that 27, 25 million effective, but 
it's going to go up and the team has ways to navigate around that. They have the flexibility this year that they didn't have the last two off seasons. And I, I wouldn't really stick too hard on the, the number itself. I think there's ways that they can navigate around it. So you, you mentioned the Brandon Cooks trade possibility, which I still think is definitely more likely than not at this point. Um, it still is very, um, and, and like going into that season, I remember being in training camp, talking to him and he's saying like, I, it's such a joy to be here. Um, the rebuild comment at the end of the year, like he didn't want to be a part of it. He was kind of saying things like that earlier on um, to expect a lot more out of what they had was interesting, but there was a lot of a guaranteed money in that contract and to cost close to $26 million against the cap this upcoming year foretells that Casario was comfortable enough to give him that guarantee. Like Casario is the person, like as you were talking about earlier, um, you expect him to kind of uh, work things out towards where he has wiggle room. That was, that was one that I don't think he expected and to trade him still would uh, what um, I'm going to look that up right here for you. Um, it looks okay. So if you trade him, it's still 10 million only yep. in savings for the upcoming year. Yep. So can you even fit someone of great potential within that. So that's going to be a very interesting. I wonder um, if they try to get bring him back to the table or not. I really don't know if that's even an option. It makes like, if you were just going to take the money aspect of it, it makes more sense to keep him, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, because if you trade him, I don't know if you get a replacement value unless you even drafting someone in the first round would be around 10 million a year, right? No, I think it's going to be eight. Let me look here. Let's say they're talking about 12. No, it's only going to be like five or six million if they. So that fits in, but you'd still be missing a cornerback. I mean, you'd still be missing a wide receiver that you would get even if you drafted the wide receiver too. So, yeah, I mean, it's wide receivers generally, it's tough on them the first year. And and the free agency class for wide receiver is really, really bad. I've never gotten to say this publicly either, but like, this talking about Brandon Cooks too, and I saw it floated again out there. The comparison between DeAndre Hopkins and him, and what they've done since the trade. The other thing that you never really hear from people is that you could have had both. You could have had DeAndre Hopkins there. You trade a second round pick, you get Cooks, and you get to play with both of them. That was an option. <laughs> so you could keep Cooks and draft a player too. Like that is an option. So, I, that's my that would to me that seems the more the more prudent path is. You keep Cooks and you draft another wide receiver, whether it's at the, it top of the second or stuff like that, and you give that guy time to develop. And then you have still have Nico Collins with his 12 games a year. Hopefully his health comes back around. Potentially John Mechie coming back. And, you know, that you still have Cooks to – I think I think Cooks can still be productive. And I think if they bring over a West Coast offense, I think he'll, his production will probably return near to what we saw before. So I think it's definitely a worth the discussion for Houston to decide if they would like to keep him on or not. You know, it's just whether or not he wants to stay on at this point. Well, I mean, if he was if he was pitched on last year's offense and it going to be good, you could definitely pitch him on this one being good too. I mean, and, and drafting someone else that was a wide receiver. Uh, I mean, that, that uh, drafting another wide receiver helps show you that you're not completely rebuilding. Uh, maybe I'm not sure exactly what the definition is through Brandon Cook's eyes, but I think showing progress and showing that you're going to score points and not be 
a dismal mess through week six, then I think that would be something you'd be interested in. Yeah. And I mean, and another play to that would be maybe that rookie that you draft is showing signs of coming along quicker than you expect. And maybe Cook yeah. becomes a draft, a trade piece at the trade deadline. Let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. So how many big names for free agents think will sign? So Alpha, we kind of touched on that. I think, you know, one or two, two. and really uh, dive in towards the wave two, wave three kind of class. Are Dylan Thompson and Frank Ross still in the building? Frank yes. Ross better still be in the building. Yes, they are both still in the building. Alpha also asked, do you think there will be a Texans tack in free agency? I don't know that there will be as much of one. That was present probably the last two years, but I think with the chain, you know, with, with Easter being gone, Easter being gone, having a much more defined head coach and knowing that this is not a one and done type of situation. I, I think players will be more, more ad, more apt to come play in Houston now and not have that Texas tap, Texas per se. I also don't think Casario is the one that's going to allow himself to pay a tax more than he wants to. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Tony wants to know the Titans and Jags and Cap Hill. Jags are not. Titans are. Um, Jags, they're like $22 million over the cap right now, but they have a ton of levers to pull. They've got two, two players I think that they're probably going to look at releasing that will free up quite a bit of number, and then they've – they can do restructures with Christian Kirk, Cam Robinson, Darius Williams. They've got a lot of a lot of levers to pull to free up uh, cap dollars. So I don't. I think Jags are fine. Tennessee is a much different situation. You've got a quarterback that's, per, you know, gone backwards on on his performance, an aging running back, and a very no left tackle. They've got an aging aging roster per se, and so I think uh, Titans are a little bit. A little bit more in a uh, a tricky situation. Sear base break. Yeah, I had my Coke. Sugar, my Coke is no sugar zero. That's my favorite. That's my drink. That's my crack. Yeah, I always wonder where those go by the end of the game at the press box. They're they're consumed by me. And at this the last game, I had to like go to like three different coolers, and they were because they didn't have any, did they? No, and I was about to throw something at Omar. <laughs> So you're not, not his you're fault. not into the just sparkling water then. No, no, I have a an unhealthy addiction to <laughs> to Coke Zero. Let's see here, Matt wants to know: Are there any key San Francisco free agents that Casario might bring in on defense? Let's yeah, see. Um, here. So I, I was defensive line. There are a lot that I think could um, end up working through. I mean, you mentioned. I mean, there would have to be something of uh, with Charles Amenahu's legal issues to see if that pans up. There are other, Samson. there are other, Sam, yeah, Ebu Cam. Sorry I'm if I messed that name up. name up. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there, there's not Givens a, too. Yeah, that's um, that's the player I was given to Kevin Givens. Yep, coming off his rookie deal. Yeah, there'll be there'll be a few names, and then let's see here, one name that is interesting over there. And this is not on the defensive side. That's direct to the question that I didn't notice that Jake Brindle, their center is also a free agent, pending free agent. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And he put together a heck of a season. 
he, but he's 30 years old. So I don't know if that's just a function of being in that system. And Texans like to sign 30 year old offensive linemen. <laughs> hopefully his right knees, up their alley. Hopefully his knees are a little bit better. Let's see here. Tony was asked, is Casario also the cap guy or do they have Chris Olsen type? I, th- I answered this in a chat, but if, if you didn't see it. So Andrew Brown does a lot of their salary cap administration work. He did some of the contract negotiations, I think, during the rookie class and some of the lower level free agents. Nick gets involved in other areas, but um, I would say Andrew Brown is pretty much the Chris Olsen of my area. Chris, if you're listening tonight, please return my text message. Um, Let's see here. (laughs) I've had a pending LinkedIn request with Chris Olsen for like three years. He's never (laughs) got it. Uh, you're reminding me to log on to my LinkedIn. I don't know. It's I, I log on about once a month just to see what's going on. My wife is a power user and she harps on me for not getting on there. All right. So can you illustrate the most, yeah, illustrate the most cap effective way to move on from Brandon Cooks? I mean, we talked about right. it. Larry. It's it's straight up a trade. I mean, you, it's 10 million in cap savings. You hope that. Houston is not pushed into taking on some of the uh, 18 million guaranteed salary this year to, to facilitate the move. And I hope they don't do it just to try to bump up trade compensation. You know, maybe they can bump it up from a fifth to a fourth by eating six or 8 million of that as a signing bonus this year, because that's just going to increase your dead money and all that money it's probably going to, it's going to accelerate into this year's, this year's cap because most likely this trade occurs before June one. So it's, it's pretty simple, Larry, just a straight up trade and, and move on. If that's, if that's the path that they end up going, do they bring back? Wait, I, 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 I kind of want to ask you a question that's along those lines with that. Cause I was thinking in terms of how the, how the Browns basically purchase draft picks or the Texans purchase draft picks with cap space by using Brock Osweiler. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there a way that the Texans can acquire something from anybody that would then also just in relation to the 10 million in space that they get, that they could, I don't know, turn some other asset that they get in return to more cap space. Like say they took a, I'm just trying to think of other yeah. way. Like if they get a draft pick or whatever. That's obviously you're going to spend it, and then that would be more cap mm-hmm. absorbent. But is there any way to cut off more than just the 10 million that you're getting, or is that just what you're stuck with? No, that's just what that's just what's okay. coming Never back. Mind. Yeah, it's just kind of a sunk cost at this point. Wah, wah. <laughs> Let's see. Let me double double check. Let's see here. Yeah, ten point two. Yeah, they're just stuck, just stuck with that one. So, pretty pretty simple on that one. So Sam wants to know: Should we bring back Rasheem Green? I don't know. It really just depends. I mean, he's a much bigger. He's a more prototypical run stuffing defensive end. Um, just not entirely sure. It seems like at least the 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 defense that San Francisco has is built on a lot of edge speed and not so much big size. So. I'm not entirely sure that he's a candidate to bring back, but you know, want we'll to kind of just wait and see. But I, I feel like there's probably other players to look at before you get into bringing back Rasheen Green. If there were a defensive end to bring back, it would be Obo. Yep. Yep. 
Let's see here. Alpha wants to know what do we expect from Mechie. So I'll let you kind of get into that one, Brooks. You might have a little more info on Mechie. Yeah, he's been around a lot in the building. Um, even, I mean, he's been active on social media through the Texans channels. And, uh, I mean, Lovey Smith would talk about him from time to time. Players would too. Um, you know, he's he was very, very present towards the end of the year. And Nick Casario um, said it on 610 too, that he looks better than he did whenever he came into the building. Uh, whenever they drafted him and obviously he was going through uh, some medical realizations towards July to, to have the diagnosis. So um, he's, he's, he's looking good in terms of what the Texans are prepared for and that he's, he's projected to return and he's projected to play. So this fulfills kind of what we're talking about earlier. So say the Texans were to draft a wide receiver. So we left this out entirely and we should have, I should have probably brought this up. So if you draft another wide receiver and you keep Brandon Cooks, that means that you have Nico Collins, Cooks, whoever you draft, and John Mechie. And Mechie, drafted in the second round, they traded up to get him, was a very good slot receiver who has a lot of versatility. Um, There's a reason why they were going to be patient with him, even though he had a torn ACL. And he was on track to maybe even push to play last year. And he said himself that he was going to be ready in July and Casario had to push back on that. But He's going to come back into the mix, and I think he's going to make a big impact um, on the offense of having more options. And that was one of those things that I was always asking Pep Hamilton about, and I don't think publicly um, whenever we were talking about that 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 ever really was something that they um, said fully complicated the offense. I mean, they don't want to – it's a very personal situation that you're not going to say like, oh, someone's diagnosis, you know, tampered with our plans, like, but I mean, that was a that was someone that they drafted for, and it would have been great to have him. And um, you know, the wide receiver core was not as deep as it could have been. And uh, it's great that he's battled through leukemia, and it looks like he's coming back into the fix, into the mold. And um, yeah, I mean, he's he, he should have an impact on this team in a positive way, and uh, and and give them a, that inside receiver that they've been searching for. Chris Moore fulfilled that a little bit. I'm actually curious to see if they'll bring him back because of how well he kind of did towards the end of the year. Um, but Matchy, uh, we should have mentioned him earlier when we were talking about wide receivers because he's definitely someone they think very highly of. Yeah, I think Chris Moore is a, a re-signed candidate. We've talked about that a couple shows back. I think his versatility of being able to play inside and outside is worth worth bringing back for for a decent little contract. So, Emilio, do you see the Texans keeping Pep as QB coach? I mean, I uh, I mean, I feel like I feel like the Pep Hamilton run is probably over. I don't see how you would push him back into QB coach, considering his, you know, some success he's had in various spots as QB coach. I just, I don't know. I'll leave so, it. So, um, the one way that you might look at that is Pep Hamilton is still very much in the West Coast roots. So that's true. Um, you also might be. I'm not saying Davis Mills would be the starter, so nobody jump on me for about 2023, even though you may have some Miller, uh, Davis Mills truthers out there. Um, he's probably going to come back and compete for the job and be the backup he never had last year. And if you have a quarterback that, say, is rooted in that system and uh, is familiar with that and you feel like Pep Hamilton can still do that, but I think Pep Hamilton's going to try and explore – 
opportunities that will push him back towards being an offensive coordinator again. And I don't know if an offensive court, like obviously hasn't been fired yet. Like this is a team that's, you know, still reviewing and interviewing and um, he's still part of the staff and under contract. So they're just deciding what they're going to do with all this. And they're going to talk more to the ends of this week. I don't anticipate just how the nature of staff overhauls happen that, it would be interesting if Pep Hamilton remained in the building. I I, I do remember that there was um, a request made for um, Pep Hamilton with the Buccaneers that kind of got floated out there that said that he declined it. Um, I talked to a few people about that. That is not entirely accurate. So like, but in the same vein, if like why that's not accurate, Pep Hamilton's not in a position where he's going to be declining any interviews that anybody requesting him for offensive coordinator positions. Like it doesn't make any sense for somebody who knows that his time may be over for him not to move on somewhere else. So um, I would not be, I would not expect him to be back as quarterback coach, but I did want to throw that point in there. That might be something to think about. And I see Kyle is saying Brooks making clear like high school proud. So I don't know. If it's a call, I know. There are a couple of calls I know, and I uh, hope you're doing well. <laughs> so, yeah. right, down the road, right down the road from me. Had... It could have been two doors down for me if it's the call I'm thinking about. But oh, that would be interesting. Who knows? Let's see here. Do you think Sarah will deploy pay-as-you-go or backloaded deals for free agents? So we kind of touched on that earlier. I think it's going to kind of be a little in between. The pay-as-you-go model doesn't really fit what – Casaria or Houston, for that matter, has ever really done that pay you go pay as you go model like Tampa and and um, Los An- Las Vegas. They both use a pay as you go model. I think uh, Casaria is going to kind of stick with the hybrid, a little bit of back load, a little bit of middle of the road type of uh, contract structure. And uh, you asked the question I'm going to ask tomorrow. There you go. All right. Well, I'll be watching and waiting to see what the answer is. Let's see here. You're going to go. No, I can't make it. I wish I could. I don't have a – yeah, couldn't get off okay. working time for that one. No. Um, sign me up for Pierce, rookie. Yeah, see, that's the kind of that's the kind of running back core you would love to have right there. Yeah. Let's see here. Got a few more. Do, do, do. Steven Nelson was actually a really good free agent. He yep. was. Yeah, it was one of the one of the successes – of Casario, I mean, because he was, he was, they were all over James Bradbury, couldn't get something worked out, whatever reason it was. Circle back to the Stephen Nelson, and don't get me wrong, James Bradbury had a great season up in Philadelphia, but Stephen Nelson, at less than half the cost, was a very effective cornerback and is under contract for this coming year. So, really, really good signing there. Uh, do, 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 need. Truth, who's always lo- listening and watching and appreciate the support, Truth. Nick Sarah to call up rounds one more time for Grant Delpit. Grant Delpit. Grant Safety. Delpit, I covered him at LSU, was a phenomenal athlete who had his best attribute was his instinctive in, in, instinctiveness. Yeah. In the same way that we wrote about Jalen Petrie throughout this year um, and how he was going to be used, I did a story probably June or July about – how the Texans were going, how Stingley and Petrie could help play each other, play off of each other and allow each other to do multiple things. Um, Spoke to Dave Aranda, who coached both of them. Dave Aranda, uh, the Baylor coach, 
uh, right now, who was the LSU defensive coordinator. Think about Jamal Adams. Uh, think about Grant Delpit, Stingley, who's a corner, not a safety, but uh, Jalen Petrie was the mold for Grant Delpit. Uh, so I'll say this, like Grant Delpit has great potential, but the Texans already have the mold of Grant Delpit, which is Jalen Petrie. So I think um, having two would be advantageous if you were going to try and mix them up a bit, but uh, maybe not the best pairing when you already have someone who fulfills that for you on the defense. Delpit did also play with Stingley Truth. You're right. Yep. Truth also, we're going to ask. No, I will not be there tomorrow to ask a question. Unfortunately, we'll have to depend on Brooks and others to uh, fill in that here. All right. So Kyle also asked, what does the trade package look like if we were to trade the Bears for pick number one? We did touch on that a little bit earlier. It, it wouldn't take a whole lot. You know, I th- just if I use the chart numbers, um, I think I may have tweeted it out. I'm not sure. But uh, looking at my chart, my draft charts, have like nine different ch- draft charts to reference. Uh, it looked like giving up their second round pick and maybe like a fourth or a future three would be aligned the points wise to, to make the move up. But like we said earlier, I think uh, Chicago, if they really wanted to move, could probably get a bigger package from Indy and still remain in a place to get their so let me the kind of player they would want. There, There's something I want to ask you on that too, just about leverage and timing and whatnot. I was actually still surprised that the Broncos seemed to get a lot. I mean, the Saints still seemed to get a lot from the Broncos in terms of releasing Sean Payton to them when it seemed like the Broncos were really the only ones left to get them. I mean, I don't think – I mean, the Texans had made their move to D'Amico. Obviously, the Arizona job is still open, but did they – I mean, I'm surprised that they gave up that much in terms of draft capital, and would that – were you surprised by how much they were giving? I up? was, and I think it's a. This is my own hypothesis of looking at tea leaves and things like that. I think this was a case of Greg Penner, who's you know part of that Walton family, missing out on his top two targets, which was D'Amico Ryan's reportedly D'Amico Ryan's, yeah. and then Jim Harbaugh. And I don't, I don't know if you really want to go to the length of calling it safe face. But I think it was a function of we're going to, we need to get Sean Payton in here to show that we can get a home run higher in here and really play that up and try to get away from the fact that we missed out on our other two, other two targets. And then Mickey Loomis was able to leverage that situation into getting the compensation that he wanted. I think if it had been any other team that didn't, wasn't in that type of situation or if there wasn't in, from what it sounded like, there was no other competition. Like you said, nobody else looking to hire him. Right. I don't think the trade compensation would have been the same in that kind of situation. I think Denver kind of boxed themselves in. And, they had to make that choice and, and give they, up the capital they had. Yeah, and I think Mickey Loomis was just like, well, let's take advantage of this situation. So, yeah. yeah. I got one here for you, Brooks. Let's yeah. see here. Favorite untold under-the-radar story being a reporter for 2022 Texas. <laughs> oh one. man. Um, untold under the radar story being a reporter for the 2020 Texans. Let me think about that 
Uh, get to another question. I want to actually give you a good answer. So let me think about that as you answer another question. Joe, Joe asked this a couple of times. How's cap space looking 2024? It, it looks fantastic. I mean, it majority of the league two years out now is going to have a ton of cap space. They only have 26 players under contract. That number is going to grow as they get their draft class in here and sign, you know, players to multiple year contracts. So I really, you know, I was on, I'd always kind of, worked around a three-year window back in the Rick Smith, Chris Olsen days. And that was pretty much how Rick kind of defined things. But I think Nick has rearranged that, that thinking. And he's said so as much as himself that it's a year to year league. And I don't think that they're looking as far ahead on majority of the situations there, you know, once some of these draft picks start getting close to the end of their rookie contracts, they'll start having to look into the future and do a little more forecasting. But I, the 2024, it, it looks great as of right now, and there's no concerns there. I think just uh, I think this team is going to be really harping on 2023, trying to get their contract structures set up appropriately so that they're not getting into back-end leverage spots on 2024 and 2025. Okay, I've got two stories um, that I'll tell. One is from my first year. One is from my second. And uh, I had to – I now understand as a reporter, whenever I ask questions to players, like, tell me about this guy. And they're like, no, I, I got to go through stories that I can't tell you. There are ones that I can't say. Cause like, you know, like I, I feel like there are ethics involved um, in terms of off the record in certain situations. But the first one is a fun one. Um, <laughs> what um, Jonathan Grenard defensive end for the Texans who uh, we, um, you know, we interact with a lot. Um, he's really a, a fun interview at times. When he was injured, he was still around in the locker room um, and made himself available towards the end when he was still on the injured reserve uh, to talk about coming back from his injury. Uh, but there was a time when um, – so Omar, uh, who is the PR head for the Texans, gives us our credentials um, for away games um, a couple of days before – and I was in a locker room and I set mine down on a table and I am the guy that loses my keys every day. I'm the one who locks my keys in the car and have to call this stupid triple A. I mean, triple A is not stupid. I'm stupid. Triple A has to come in. So I, I forget my credential, I think on the table in the locker room and I go back in. I'm like, oh, how am I going to get into this game? I got to go figure this out again. I got to tell Omar and show how much of an idiot I am. And I'm talking to some player, um, I'm forgetting, no, it was Roy Lopez. So I'm having a conversation with Roy. And then Jonathan Grenard walks over and he's like, yeah, hey, how's it going, guys? Y'all doing good? He looks at me with kind of like a grin. And then like, I was like, hey, how's it going? And I look at his chest and it's, he's wearing my credential. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like asking questions like he's a reporter. And he's like, oh, how's it going? You know, like, what are you going to do with this and this? And I'm like, wait a minute, give me that. And He's like, you know, gives it over. And it's funny because he also kind of played reporter in public. Like one of his first press conferences of the season, he comes up to the podium and says that Mario Addison is going to be playing, coming off the injured reserve. And then like I looked over at Omar and he's like, mm. <laughs> I'm like, is that true? He's like, yeah. And as as uh, Jonathan Gunnar walked off, he was like, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, we never heard from him again. But um, – the second story I want to say, uh, just because like I want to introduce myself a little bit. When I first got the job, so uh, Kyle brought it up earlier. I'm from Clear Lake, 
born, raised here, went around to the different jobs before I got here. So I grew up listening in the car to John McClane, reading John McClane. That's the context of this beginning of the story. So whenever I accepted the job, it was a whirlwind. I was covering LSU. Um, I was in uh, in Montgomery. I mean, in in Birmingham, basically covering SEC media days. And I wanted to get here in time for training camp, um, which was in four days. So I was like, Reed Lamets, who's my sports editor, was like, "You don't worry, don't have to rush it." I was like, "No, I got to be there." So long story short, I went from Alabama to Baton Rouge to Austin for a wedding, Houston to look for an apartment, found one in a day, went back to Baton Rouge, moved out, had to pick up a moving van in Thibodeau, which was like an hour and a half away, came back to Baton Rouge, went all in the span of like three days. It was, and I was tired, exhausted, whatever. I felt terrible. And um, I uh, thought I was just exhausted and tired. And I went to, uh, went to, uh, the first day, reported for training camp, went and met all the people that I'd always grown up listening to, reading and all that. I was like, hi, I'm Brooks Cabana. You're Mark Van Riel of the rock and roll, right? Hey, hey, what's going on? Shaking hands, going around, having dinner, having lunch with uh, John McClain, um, telling him, hey, I've read everything you've ever written and all, I heard you on the radio and all that. And like, remember, this is the middle of the COVID season. Yep. And uh, I get a call from Omar after all this. And he says, hey, Brooks, you're positive. I'm like, you're kidding. He's like, no, we double tested you. You're, you're, you're positive. And I was like, I just met all these people and yeah, hands. Yeah. if I, no one contracted COVID after that. So I can tell the story safely later on. And like all the protocols were fine. Um, but I was like, if I kill John McClain with COVID, <laughs> I will be thrown out of this city. Yeah. So like I was very attentive to everybody and I was like, I, I, I was gone for the first two weeks of my job. So, um, John was a hard worker, uh, through, I mean, always has been like, that was revealed to me through that situation because I was like, how can I help you as I'm like sweating on my bed? And he's like, don't worry about it. And he's like cranking out all these stories and then like allowing me to rest. So that was really cool. And, uh, that was the beginning of my, my time on this job. Yeah. No, we, we appreciate all the coverage and all the work. It's, it's been a great, great addition to the, to the city with the coverage. Uh, you definitely bring a, a good flavor to things. And if you haven't subscribed to the Houston Chronicle, it's very inexpensive and I'm always a favor in favor of <laughs> and our writers. I don't, not, not everything should be free out there. So look, yeah. I mean, you, I'm laughing because you say inexpensive and it's true. And I'm going to make this pitch because it's 99 cents for six months. Yep. It's 99 cents. So like for me to, whenever I tell people that it's like, I am convincing you that six 99 cents divided by six months. Like we talk, you always like hear the thing. Oh, it's for the price of a cup of coffee. Like it's not even close to that. Like yeah. it's almost free. Like yeah. just, I mean, six months, what is it? You can get through the draft and everything and then decide if you like it or not. And then you can just, we hope you stay, but I mean, it's literally nothing. It's, yeah. it's nothing. So just do it. And I, I hate that I'm in the position of saying like, I feel like my work is good yep. and that it's worth more than 99 cents over six months and you get everything else. Maybe you don't, you know, wherever you get your news and everything else. So thank you, Alpha Solar. You're awesome. So yep. be like Alpha Solar. Yeah. No, Houston I'm with Chronicle. you. Com. 
There you go. Well, we went a little over time. We're in an hour and 35 minutes. I think that'll probably be enough for tonight. Covered a, a ton of, ton of topics. Brooks, I really appreciate the time, sir. Absolutely, man. I'm very, yeah, we'll try to get you back on maybe, uh, after the draft or something for, for a eval. But, uh, you know, if you're not following Brooks, it's at B Cabina on Twitter and obviously with the Houston Chronicle and, uh, you know, as a, for me at Texans cap on Twitter, make sure you, uh, follow. And then for the show, make sure you subscribe, hit that like button. Like I mentioned before, it helps out the show, helps out the algorithm, helps us get better and stronger as we continue on with this channel and try to make it the best thing we can make. And, uh, with that, I think we answered about as much as we can. We'll be back next Wednesday. I'm not entirely sure if I'm going to have anybody on or not. If not, we'll, uh, May do a little Titus Howard extension talk or something like that. Hey. So, um, yeah. So with that, we'll go ahead and uh, go ahead and close it down. And uh, everybody have a good evening. And if and uh, make sure you join back on next Wednesday. And everybody have a good night. Thank you.